the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The law and the gospel. Sadly, many today would make them out to be enemies. As we'll see today, nothing could be further from the truth. Join us for today's broadcast of Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. Most in the church would say the law or the gospel. We come to you with the law and the gospel. Greetings and welcome to Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. We find ourselves in Luke chapter 16 today, looking at verses 14 through 31. The law and the gospel, they do go hand in hand, as we'll see today. Join us as we show you how. With this edition of Abounding Grace, here's Pastor Gary Wagner. Last week we looked at the first 14 verses of this 16th chapter of Luke, dealing with the shrewd manager and the wealthy owner of a business. And we saw that the Pharisees knew Jesus was talking about them in his remarks about corrupt money matters. They were worshipers of mammon. They were unfaithful in the little things pertaining to material possessions. They used their possessions and wealth strictly for themselves instead of on the needy and for the advance of God's kingdom. Therefore, God said, they would never be trusted with the riches of his kingdom. They tried to serve God and mammon. And of course... Jesus warned them against that. So here in verses 14 and 15, Luke, in no uncertain terms, inspired by the Holy Spirit, condemns the Pharisees. And notice what he says about them. Now the Pharisees were lovers of money, were listening to all these things, and they were scoffing at Jesus. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves in the sight of men. But God knows your hearts, for that which is highly esteemed among men is detestable in the sight of God. So Luke gives his testimony about the Pharisees, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and then he quotes the Lord Jesus Christ. And the criticism is severe. It is actually horrifying when you remember who the Pharisees were. They were leaders in the Jewish church. And notice what Jesus says about them. These Pharisees are lovers of money, not lovers of God. Not lovers of the Torah, but the lovers of money. It says they were scoffing at the preaching of the head of the church, Christ, precisely because they believed that material wealth was an earned reward for their faithfulness of life. So as a result... They scoffed at Jesus when he would say there is danger in wealth 
or when he would say a person must be careful when he has wealth, lest he promotes unrighteousness. Then he says, they were trying to justify themselves. They were trying to make themselves look good, make themselves acceptable in the sight of men, but of course to no avail. They tried to impress others with their holiness and their acceptance in God by distributing charity to the poor, but it was an empty public display of wealth. They had no heart in this. Our text says that God knew their deceitful hearts and he condemned them. Then you have these solemn words. Because that which is highly esteemed among men is detestable in the sight of God. Now what is it that these Pharisees were so highly esteemed among men for and yet was so detestable in the sight of God? It was their attempt at self-justification. It was their attempt at doing things to win the favor of men and the favor of God, rather than seeking to be justified by God through faith in Christ alone. Then in verses 16 to 18, Luke quotes Jesus, and I want you to notice how these ideas are linked together. This is not just a stringing together of various quotations from Jesus like it seems. He said, the law and the prophets were proclaimed until John... Since then, the gospel of the kingdom of God is preached and everyone is forcing his way into it, or in other words, they're taking it by storm. But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one stroke of a law, of a letter of the law to fail. Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And he who marries one is divorced from a husband commits adultery. Now, what did we learn about the Pharisees last week first? We learn that because of their greater devotion to rabbinical traditions rather than the law of God, they were always finding ways to circumvent and erode the demands of God's law, while at the same time assuring themselves that their membership in the kingdom of God was perfectly safe and settled. So Jesus, throughout this entire section, is telling them, that what is really necessary to enter the kingdom of God is pressing forward vigorously into the kingdom by self-denial, repentance, earnest effort, untiring energy, utmost exertion, taking up the cross, trusting in Jesus as Lord and Savior, and obediently submitting themselves to Him, giving up all claim on your life and possessions, and placing them at Jesus' disposal. That is what we have been learning from all the quotations that we've been, te we've been learning about over the past couple of months. And since the time of grace for the first century Drew, Jew was about to come to an end, there was a sense of urgency about these demands and about this commitment to Jesus. In fact, he said, this is what has been happening in Palestine since the days of John the Baptist. And he says, everyone is forcing his way into it. Everyone. The Jew no longer had an exclusive right on the kingdom. For everyone included Jews, but it also included the Gentiles. Everyone who believes in Christ is taking the kingdom by storm. Now, 
That is Jesus' assessment of what is happening in the apostolic church. He said, you Pharisees, there is an urgency here and you're missing out. You, you may think you're in, but you are not. <coughs> the kingdom of God is being taken by storm by everybody. So that by the end of the first century, there was at least one million Christians in the Roman Empire. <coughs> now let me read you some quotes from one of my favorite books. And if you can find it anywhere, and I believe you can get it on Amazon.com, please get it and pay whatever price you have to pay to get it. It's entitled, On the Incarnation by Athanasius. Now Athanasius died in 374 A.D., actually about 20 years after the birth of Augustine. And here was a man in 374 A.D. who was talking about taking the kingdom of God by storm by everyone. And please listen to these words carefully. Quote, When did people begin to abandon the worship of idols unless it were since the very word of God came among them. And keep in mind, Athanasians called Jesus usually the Word of God. When oracles ceased and became void of meaning among the Greeks and everywhere, except since the Savior has revealed Himself on earth, when did those whom the poets called gods and heroes begin to be judged as mere mortals, except when the Lord took the spoils of death? and preserved incorruptible the body he had taken, raising it from among the dead. In old times, the whole world and every place in it was led astray by the worship of idols. And men thought the idols were the only gods that were. But now all over the world, men are, saking, are forsaking the fear of idols and taking refuge with Christ. And by worshiping him as God, they come through him to know the Father who formerly they did not know. Nor is this by any means incredible. The barbarians of the present day are naturally savage in their habits. And as long as they sacrifice to their idols, they rage furiously against any other and cannot bear to be a single hour without weapons. But when they hear the teachings of Christ, forthwith they turn from fighting to farming. And instead of arming themselves with sword, extend their hands in prayer. In a word, instead of fighting each other, they take up arms against the devil and demons and overcome them by their self-command and integrity of soul. These facts are proof of the Godhead of the Savior. For He has taught men what they could never learn among idols. Did anyone ever fight against the whole system of idol worship and the whole host of demons and the wisdom of the Greeks at a time when all these were strong and flourishing and taking everyone in, as did our Lord, the very Word of God. Yet He is even now invisibly exposing every man's heir and single-handedly is carrying off all men from them all, so that those who used to worship idols now tread them underfoot, Repented magicians burn their books. The wise prefer to all studies the interpretation of the Gospels. They are deserting those whom they formerly worshipped. 
they worship and confess Christ and God, Him whom they used to ridicule as crucified. Their so-called gods are routed by the sign of the cross, and the crucified Savior is proclaimed in all the world as God and Son of God. Moreover, the gods worshipped by the Greeks are now falling into disrepute among them on account of the disgraceful things they did. For those who receive the teachings of Christ are more chaste in life than they. Since the Savior came to dwell in our midst, not only is idolatry no longer increased, but it is getting less and gradually ceasing to be. Similarly, Not only does the wisdom of the Greeks no longer make any progress, but that which used to be is disappearing. And demons, so far from continuing to impose on people by their deceits and oracle givings and sorceries, are routed by the sign of the cross if they so much as try. On the other hand, why idolatry and everything else that opposes that faith of Christ is daily dwindling and weakening and falling. The Savior's teachings are increasing everywhere. So 300 years after Christ, people were still taking the kingdom by storm all over the world. And the church of God continued to grow. And you say, but that's certainly not the case today. Well, maybe it is unlike today in the United States. But it is very similar today in other parts of the world. Tens of thousands of people in Africa and China make professions of faith every single week. So Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, you are not automatically in the kingdom because you can claim that you are an heir of Abraham. You must deny yourself and take up your cross daily and like everyone else, take the kingdom by storm through faith alone. And then in verse 16, Jesus says this, The law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. Since then, the gospel of the kingdom is preached. Now, the statement is often used by our critics to try and prove that since the time of John the Baptist... Christians now no longer have responsibility to obey God's law from the Old Testament because it says the law and the prophets, which is a phrase to describe the Old Testament, were proclaimed until John. But since the gospel of the kingdom of God is now preached, however, what this statement is simply saying is that the Old Testament dispensation is now followed by the New Testament dispensation with the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The kingdom of Christ has superseded the older days of messianic expectation. Now, I use the word dispensation. Some of you are probably wondering, is he gone Arminian on us? Remember, we had that word first. The word dispensation means an arrangement to dispense. That there were two ways by which God dispensed his blessings upon his people. There was the Old Testament way by which he dispensed his blessings. And there is a New Testament way by which he dispenses his blessings. Which of course is far superior to the way he dispensed his blessings in the Old Testament. But the blessings are the same. 
All he is saying here is, it, is that the Old Testament arrangement of things have given way to the New Testament arrangements of things with the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now things are vastly superior to any time before the coming of Christ because He has arrived in history, fulfilling all the Old Testament promises. But faith was by grace in the Old Testament, and it is still by grace alone in the New Testament. The writer of the book of Hebrews said, as he introduced his book, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways in these last days, has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things. Through him he also created the world, and he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. Verse 16. Cannot teach the termination and the end of the validity of the law of God and our obligation to obey it because of verse 17, which says that not one stroke of a letter of the law of the Old Testament will be done away with ever. You can expect the universe to pass away before you can expect any of the laws of God in the Old Testament to cease. The law and the prophets were in tell John. But the law is still authoritative today. Now a close related passage to this is John 1.17. And this passage has also been used to teach that Christians don't have to obey the law of the Old Testament anymore since the advent of Christ. They try their best. To make this verse say something it cannot possibly say. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. The contrast here is not between Moses and the law and Christ and grace and truth. That, that contrast is not being drawn here. Salvation by grace as well as revealed truth were unmistakable elements of the Old Testament religion in life just as they are unmistakable elements of the New Testament as well. If there is any contrast being drawn here at all, it is simply in the words given through and realized. The law was given through Moses. That is, he was just an instrument. That law didn't originate with him. It wasn't his law. And grace and truth were realized through Christ. You see, they were his own personal, essential perfection. The law and Christ both manifest God. Therefore, just as grace and truth were present in the ages before Christ, so the law remains in the age following Christ. Then in verse 17 of Luke chapter 16, it says, It is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one stroke of a letter of the law to fail. In other words, 
regardless of the Pharisees' attempt to evade the force of the law by rabbinical traditions in the Talmud and the Mishnah, and although the dispensations have changed from an older one to a newer and greater one in Christ, the moral law of God, written down by Moses in the Ten Commandments and in the case laws, still remain in force and in abiding authority, Therefore, trying to evade the force of God's Torah in the Old Testament by focusing on rabbinical teachings and interdictions is in reality an invalidating of the law of God. Jesus said in the seventh chapter of Matthew, verses 8, 9, and 13, Neglecting the commandment of God, you hold to the traditions of men. And then he said, you nicely set aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition, thus invalidating the word of God by your tradition, which you have handed down, and you may do many such things like that. The statement in verse 16 is obviously a condensation of a more expanded statement of Jesus with which he begins the Sermon on the Mount. If you would, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. In these verses, you will see what Jesus had in mind when he said at this point, forget the rabbinical traditions, for it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one stroke of the letter of the law to fail. Now here is the complete statement that Matthew recorded in verse 17 of Matthew chapter 5. Do not think, I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I didn't come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say unto you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass away from the law, until all, that is, everything in history, is accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments, and so teaches others, shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever keeps and teaches them, shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you, that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, with the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is beginning his teaching career. And in this introduction to this sermon, he says, Don't interpret anything I say over the next three years so to as have the effect of nullifying or invalidating or abrogating, doing away with any of God's moral commands upon us from the Old Testament. Because I did not come to abolish them, I came to fulfill them. That is to put them into force, to confirm them, to complete them. I came to do the exact opposite of abolishing the law of God. And he says, there will not be any event in history that will ever have the effect from this moment on of nullifying any of the moral demands of God that he lays upon his people in the Old Testament. No event, not crucifixion, not resurrection, not the baptism of the church by the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. There will never be any event in history that will have the effect of nullifying any of the demands that God laid upon us in the Old Testament. And to whom much is given, much is required. 
so that the disciples of Christ are even more responsible and more accountable to bring their lives into conformity to the law of God in the Old Testament by the power of the Holy Spirit than even the Jews of the Old Testament. Then he says, your standing in the kingdom of God is directly related to whether you are going to be a stickler for the details of the law of God or not. He says, those who don't obey the least of the commandments and teach other people not to obey the least of the commandments shall be least in the kingdom of heaven. But those who obey the least of the commandments and teach other people to obey the least of the commandments shall be great in the kingdom of heaven. In such a way, your righteousness will vastly supersede the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. And that'll bring us to the end of our time today here on Abounding Grace with our teacher and pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. Thank you for joining us today. It's our hope and prayer that we've been able to encourage you in Christ and stimulate your walk in Him. To address questions, comments, prayer requests, or concerns, please call or write to us. We'd love to talk with you. 408-866-5607 is our phone number, 408 408- Eight six six five six zero seven. You're also welcome to visit our website. Drop us an email when you do, reformedheritage.org. Real simple, reformedheritage.org. A lot of information there about who we are. We would invite you again to stop by, reformedheritage.org. Or if you're writing to us, the address is PMB, post mailbox, 402, and the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, 95032. That address can be found on our website, reformedheritage.org, or again, simply call 408-866-5607. Copies of today's program are just $5. Mention today's date, and we'll get a CD out to you. And please remember that we are listener-supported, which means when you link arms with us financially, we're able to continue the ministry here on this station. It's a great way to study God's Word together, isn't it? And we'd love to continue to do so. Would you prayerfully consider how God might be leading you to partner with us? We'd love to hear from you. Again, won't you call 408-866-5607 or reformedheritage.org. Sunday services, by the way, if you'd like to join us, are 2 in the afternoon. We're located at Lone Hill Church, 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website, reformedheritage.org. Again, Sunday services are at 2 p.m. Further information can be found again at reformedheritage.org or by calling 408-866-5607. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, God bless. (music) 